Judith. What an incredible morning to be together in church. You're still clapping. It's so good. We're uh, speaking also into all our campuses this morning, so we want to welcome them. We also want to welcome anyone, if it's your first time, uh, Icon Church in any of our campuses right now. And also, if you're joining us online, we're so thrilled that you're with us. So come on, church. Why don't we welcome everyone? Fantastic. Derby Connects. Sheffield, Stocksbridge, it's so great to be together. Let's take our seats here in the room. As a few people have said, we're at the end. This is day seven in week one of prayer and fasting. How's it going? Good, good. And um, I've, I've actually loved being involved in prayer and fasting. I've loved receiving the emails every day and We've done some incredible things in terms of what we've prayed for already. We've had some things to pray for about our personal lives. We've prayed for children. On one day, we prayed for teenagers. On another day, we prayed for marriages. And uh, I think this morning, it was parents and grandparents who we were praying for. So awesome. So we've been, we've been doing that today. And what I love about it is we're doing it together. You know, we, we've got hundreds of uh, people who come to Icon Church and they're on our database, but do you know we had an extra 70 people on top of what we already had sign up for prayer over, uh, over these 21 days? That's just awesome, isn't it? And we said we want to do something we've never done. So we've never done three weeks of prayer and fasting like this. We want to do something we've never done to see things we've never seen. Because I, or I believe about God, you can't exhaust him. There's always more. I mean, just listen, uh, if, you know, if you're online or in one of our other campuses, forgive me, just a little illustration from our service here in Chesterfield, Tom talking about Alpha, and just every time he does it, it's something new, there's something fresh, um, but that's just what God's like. You can't exhaust him. There's something, there's something so good. And, uh, and I'm loving that. So, so if you don't receive emails from Icon Church, you'd like to jump in and get involved in prayer and fasting, go to icon.church forward slash pray, give us your details, and you'll start getting the emails from tomorrow morning. And uh, we can continue this journey of hundreds of, of us together praying and fasting in this period. But my uh, job, I guess, this morning is to uh, bring the third part of our Stronger series, and uh, we've launched uh, this year. And I felt that there was a, a little prophetic sense to this series because, you know, in a time of chaos and in a time when everything's being shaken, it's tempting for us to think we're going to come out weaker or we're going to be out weaker. But I felt that God was saying to us, I'm making you stronger. I'm making you stronger. And so we've taken five weeks, this is week three, to talk about bold faith in a noisy world. Bold faith in a noisy world. Because God says to us, no weapon formed against you will prosper. I, I honestly believe that God's perspective, God's wisdom, and God's plan are everything we need to rise above the setbacks and the challenges that we can face in any generation. And I believe that because Ephesians 3.20 says, He is able to do far more, not just more, but far more than we can ask or imagine. Come on, if you believe it with me, why don't we just praise Him in this moment? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for that verse. And we just take a moment to acknowledge 
that verse that you are able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. We say thank you so much in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So you're coming out stronger. I want to read from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20 today. Um, It says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, It's the most northern part of his ministry. He never goes further north than this. He asked his disciples, why do people say, sorry, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, some say the Son of Man is John the Baptist, others say it's Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Rocky, Little Rock, Rocky, that was his nickname. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly, imagine Jesus stern, sternly ordered the disciples, don't tell anyone I'm the Messiah. Don't tell anyone who I am. I want to talk about the power of a holy place. Jesus in these verses says, I'll build my church. And my question is, what type of church would Jesus want to build? Because I honestly believe that so many people in our world, even so many people in church, have a wrong view of church. I think our view of church can conflict sometimes with his view. Some people think church is an institution, like the Church of England, or the Roman Catholic Church, or the Orthodox Church, or a state church. It's It's an institution. That's the church. That's what the church is. Some people think the church is a bit like a club. You know, clubs are based on common interests, hobbies, or potential careers, for for example. So, you know, clubs can be like golf clubs, or gym clubs, or chess clubs. Um, Or the church is a society, a society where you have a community that's Uh, based on a common interest, broad groupings of people having common traditions, having common institutions and activities, and so on. Societies develop to um, encourage the meeting of the needs of their members. Is that what the church is? Is it an institution? Is it a club? Is it a society? Is it just a charity? We get charitable status as a church in in this country, but you don't have to be a church to get charitable status, but is that what the church is? Just a charity, another charity to do good. Is the church a building? Often, don't we, when we uh, drive or we think of the church, the first thing we think of is a, a building. One of the things I've taken to, I love it. I don't know how much Jeannie loves it. I I love it like nine and a half out of ten is if we're in Europe visiting churches and cathedrals. I didn't used to love it, but I love it now. Anybody with me? Anybody with me in Derby Connect? Anybody with me in Stocksbridge, Sheffield? It sounds very, very quiet. But I love visiting churches, cathedrals. I love the architecture. And if I'm honest, I wish we could still build things like that today. 
for the glory of God. And so I think it was last year, Jeannie and I had a few days, about five days in Northumberland. And we visited this place, Hexham Abbey in Northumberland. And there's a few pictures will come on the screen, outside, inside, different, different things. It was a beautiful place, but as we were walking around in this uh, abbey, which I'm sure Jeannie enjoyed, <laughs> she did actually, and uh, I saw a plaque, and this really impressed me. This plaque said that there had been worship on that site for 1,100 years. And it just made me step back. 1,100 years, people have been worshipping actually on that ground, which I thought, isn't that incredible? But yet that building is not the church. It's not the church. I was at a church planting conference some years ago in Bristol, and uh, we, it was at a hotel, held at a hotel, just about 30, 40 of us invited people to talk about church planting, and it was right next, the hotel was right next to Bristol Cathedral, and so we decided on the Tuesday, after our um, conference day had finished, about 4 or 5 p.m., we decided we, before dinner, we would go and have a look around the cathedral. As we entered the cathedral, there was an usher there, and the usher said to us, we need you to be quiet because there's a prayer meeting going on. So if you can just walk past, as you walk through and past this room, just be be courteous and be quiet because of this prayer meeting. As we walked past, we noticed that there were six people in this prayer meeting. And so one of, uh, one of our groups said, six people in a prayer meeting, why bother? And I thought for a second, I thought, yeah, six people doesn't seem that significant. Yeah, why bother? I, I kind of just took on that thought. But then another member of our group says, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, hold it. Hold your horses. There'd been a prayer meeting on a Tuesday evening for 800 years. That's why bother. That's why bother. Even so, the building isn't the church. The New Testament teaches us that the church is the people of God the family of God. You are the church. We are the church together. So my question is, what does it look like when Jesus builds the church? What does it look like when God's hand is upon his church? And what does it look like when God's heart is in his church among his people? It looks like this, church is family and church is temple. Church is family and church is temple because we know the church isn't the building, the bricks and mortar. And as I've said already, and I want to say it again, I still wished we built the kind of buildings that people look at and think, wow, somebody built that to the glory of God. I still wished our culture, our society was so in love with Jesus as it must have been back then that, that people would actually give enough to, I mean, how much would a cathedral cost to build these days? I think it's awesome that we have these things. Having said that, we know the church is not the building. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 to 20 says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you too are being built spiritually into a dwelling place for God. You're a family and you're a temple. Paul's writing in those verses, the Apostle Paul, to the believers who are gathered together in the city of Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, Europeans. And Paul says to them, you are members of God's household. You are the family of God. You've been included. You've been accepted. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been brought in. You're members. But you're not just members of God's household. Together you are this holy temple where God dwells by his spirit. Spiritually, Paul says, you are a place where God dwells. Do you know there's got to be a place? There's got to be a place. If somebody asks, where do I find God? And you say, well, God's everywhere. It's not enough. People, there has to be a place where people can find God, where God dwells, where God is present, where heaven and earth come together. And the New Testament tells us that place is the church, the family of God, the people of God. The message version puts those verses like this. This is plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Uh, You know, we use that phrase, don't we, on our screens so often in all of our campuses, you belong here. And maybe this is your first time at Icon Church. We want to encourage you, you belong here. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds it all together. I love that. We see it taking shape day after day, week after week, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple where God is quite at home, where he puts his slippers on in the Benji version. See, Paul makes this point in Galatians chapter 6. He says, don't let let us grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap a harvest at due time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, but especially those of the family of faith. He uses this family motif picture again that we are a family, a family of God. And God is fitting us together. I had a a lecturer in Bible college, his name was Paul Newbery, he was my favorite lecturer if I'm honest and um, he uh, told us one day about his church which was in Maidstone and he told us about how the church had been growing and lots of new people had been coming and they were having like welcome to church meetings and he would always say, he said to the people, let God join you to us. Let God join you to us. And he would use these verses where God says he's fitting us in together. He's making us one. He's making us a temple, a building where God is at home. 
So I want to use his word today. Let God join us together like we've never been joined. We love to say at Icon Church, you're only a stranger once because we believe God wants to join us together. So church is family and church is temple. That's what it looks like when Jesus builds his church. That's what it looks like when God's hand is upon his church. And that's what it looks like when God's heart is in his church. So I want to share a couple of thoughts of how that plays out and then just an application for our lives as we go through this. The first is this. Church then is a place where humans can flourish. Jesus said in those opening verses, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was our opening text. Jesus gave a vision of a prevailing church, not a diminishing church, not a defeated church, not a weak or weakening church, but a resilient church, a church that was blessed and a church that would overcome. But you know, the church is made up of individuals. So as it's made up of individuals, Jesus has a vision for us to be prevailing individuals, overcoming individuals, not diminishing, not defeated, not weak or weakening in our lives, but resilient and blessed. This is his vision for you. This is vision for your family. Jesus tells us quite clearly that the enemy's plans for humans are to kill, steal, and destroy. We know very well, John 10 and verse 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. It's why, yeah, come on, let's praise him. Come on, join us in Stocksbridge, Sheffield. And if it feels awkward to clap in Derby Connects, just do it. (laughs) It's great to be together. That's why our vision at Icon Church is human flourishing, because that's God's vision for his church, and it's what God's vision is for individuals. It's why we're encouraging us to do acts of kindness so that people can flourish. But what kind of place do we need to flourish? What kind of place needs to be created? You know, place matters in flourishing, doesn't it? Place matters in flourishing. Where you put a child, where you put a person, it matters in flourishing. It's so important. And there's lots of been work done in psychology and different disciplines, sociology and psychology, of what kind of place is needed in terms of flourishing. Some of you will have come across Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. And a few years ago, uh, Natalie, who's in our Chesterfield campus, sent me this diagram, which I've kept, which is talking about resilience, and it tells tells us what we need as humans in order to develop resilience and in order to flourish. You need a secure base, a secure foundation, which includes place. We need education, friendships, talents, and interests, positive values, and social competencies. Those things have to abound. Those things have to be present in order for us to develop and actually move forward with resilience and flourish. You know, we need to build resilience, by the way, in this moment of time. And I believe personally that affirming every thought we have or every emotion will not lead to flourishing. Because we, just because we feel it or just because we think it, we affirm it, that will not lead to flourishing. 
But bringing our thoughts into submission to Jesus' will. And that's what Paul taught in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's where we flourish. Submitted to Christ. Don't buy the lie that we just affirm everything. We have to submit it to the Lordship of Christ. Because that's the place of flourishing. What kind of place do we need? What kind of place does the church One of my favorite authors, Andy Crouch, came up with this in his book, The Life We're All Looking For. He says the place, and he was talking about the New Testament. He was uh, like opening up the New Testament church, the first church. He said, we need a place of shelter, a place where we can shelter under one another's care. We need that place. Somebody loves you. Somebody's looking out for you. Somebody's bothered about you. Like on a basic level, they, they care about you. We need that kind of place. We need a place of codependency where, you know, it's not just about me and, and, and my stuff, but there's a place of where we're dependent on each other. I love this one and we've nicked it as a church. We are nicking this. A place where you cannot hide and a place where you cannot get lost. Is what a line. Come on, let's applaud Andy Crouch for that. He goes on to kind of develop some of these thoughts. This is a place where someone knows where you are and someone knows how you're doing. And a place where someone will check on you if you don't appear. Imagine you're a parent and you're expecting your child to come home on a Saturday night, they don't appear. You're going to check on them, aren't you? Because that's because you're creating a place for them to flourish. You know, in the Old Testament, Moses, who was caring for all the Israelites, he has this moment where his father-in-law comes to visit him. His father-in-law is called Jethro, and it's in Exodus chapter 18. And his father-in-law comes to visit him, and whilst he's staying there and enjoying Moses' hospitality, he sees Moses doing his job caring for the people. And so Moses used to go out in the morning, and he used to sit in the seat of leadership, and there were queues all day. And people would come to Moses, talk to Moses, you know, one after the other, ten after ten, hundred after hundred people coming to Moses and Jethro that night says to him, Moses, you know what? What you're doing isn't good. It's going to wear you out and it's going to wear the people out. It's just not going to be good. He says, so I want you to find leaders. I want you to find leaders who can look after 10, leaders who can look after 50, leaders who can look after 100, and leaders who can look after 1,000. The rabbi Jonathan Sachs, commenting on Exodus 18, says Moses needed 131 leaders for every 1,000 people. He needed 100 leaders of 10s. He needed 20 leaders of 50. He needed 10 leaders of 100 and 1 leaders of 1,000. He needed for every 1,000, 131 Leaders, we've decided to think this should be our model for Icon Church, Connect, because we want to create a place where you can't, get, you can't hide and you can't, you can't go missing. So we, uh, I've drawn him, I drew this in my notebook. 
this is a fifth of what Icon Church Connects could look like. You got that picture. I'm not moving on. I'm just going to shame you. Have you got that picture? Has it frozen? Shall we sing? How are you doing in Stocksbridge? Yeah. Oh, there it is. Oh, that's big. Look at the back of my head. My grandson, Zion, he says, he gets this and he, he like does this and he says, I just don't understand this. <laughs> like, like, you know, these, I've got a line there and I've got like, he said, I don't, I don't understand what's happening. I said, it's because my brain is so big. <laughs> but five, five leaders of tens, one leader of fifties. And this is, a, this is a fifth of a thousand people. Because this has to be a place where you can't go missing and you can't get lost. You know, I... Um, I was thinking about this idea in uh, the lyrics of two iconic songs. Some of us, not all of us by a long way, but some of us can remember cheers. Ted Danson, five of us. Verse one said this, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help her. Wouldn't you like to get away? And then the chorus goes, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. And you want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everyone knows your name. And then all of us will remember friends. Especially Amy Lloyd. Well, Amy Hall, sorry. Do that every time. <sighs> I'm not going to, I was thinking this morning, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Amy Hall and Vic Eakes, especially, <laughs> did that on purpose. <laughs> Just have a look at the back of my head again. <laughs> oh, hey, stop laughing, it's my time. Friends, I'll be there for you when, when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like, like I've been there before. I'll be there for you, there for me too. What does it look like when Jesus builds the church? It looks like family, where we can shelter under one another's care, where we've got dependency, where it's a place where we can't hide and a place where you can't get lost. Somebody knows where you are and knows how you're doing and someone will check on you if you don't appear. And then the second thing, just for a few minutes, it's a place of service. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This gathering, this temple, this place is where heaven and earth is meant to meet. 
It's why we worship God with the words and the songs we worship God because we're getting a glimpse of heaven. A glimpse of truth that is heavenly in the midst of a world that is just purely earthly. So it's a place where heaven and earth meet and come together. You know, the New Testament calls the church, the people, saints, the people of God, the holy ones. It's the dwelling place of God. It's a temple. And what happens in the temple? We worship God. We equip one another, dependency, and we reach outsiders. And we have to realize today that sometimes we have a different view of God's house to what God has. A different view of gathering to what God does. We can think sometimes church is just like the, the, a week, one of many weekend options. We can just think that. But it's more than that. It's who we are gathered together. We can think it might be just convenient if it's convenient. I go to the supermarket when I need bread. I, I go to church when I need whatever. But I think when we think like that, we're missing something that the church is. I think Jesus had something radically different in mind when he said, I will build my church. What he had in mind was a family and a temple. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 puts it like this. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we have the praises. That's why we jump in church. Well, we do that in church because we're proclaiming his glory, his praises, heaven and earth meeting in that moment as we praise in him. We're a priesthood and you are a priest. I'm not the priest. We're all priests. And so when you come to church and we gather with God's people, you come as a priest and we worship God together. We equip and strengthen each other together. We encourage each other. Let me give you a, an illustration of this. Judith, give it up for Judith. Because she's, she's got work to do. Because I'm about to make a mess. Can you remember when I spilt a load of water? That was you as well, Judith, wasn't it? You're going to need a hoover, not just a dustpan and brush, I tell you. You don't have to get it now. Come on, no, no, you need to well, listen to the message. <laughs> Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. When your words come out, let them be seasoned with salt. Let it always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Think about what you're going to say. Does this bless? Does it encourage? Does it lift? Seasoned with salt. If you say words that aren't seasoned with salt, take them back quickly and say words that are seasoned with salt. Not made enough mesh yet. Seasoned with salt. Salt flavors food. Your words, my words, our words together as we encourage make life taste better. Salt binds things together. It's used as a stabilizer. It's a preservative. 
The right words can keep things safe and secure. The right words. It kills bacteria. There's a whole load of bacteria on your life. But if we say the right words to each other, we might kill some of that bacteria. How am I doing, Judith? (laughs) Bacteria can't thrive in the presence of salt. A high amount of salt. I want to make some pastrami. I went to a barbecue and... um, Marshall's house and uh, he made pastrami, fantastic. But you know, you, 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 you put loads of salt and you cure it for seven days. And it, one of the things it does, it kills all the bacteria. It's fantastic. When you and I encourage one another, it preserves, it binds, it flavors, it stabilizes, it savors. Our worship, our encouragement does that. The band are going to come back because... I just want to close then with this thought. Let's not think about going to church. Let's think about being the church. You're not the church on your own. I'm not the church on my, on my own. But we're the church together. That's what we are. I will build my church, and that's what Jesus is doing today, family and temple. When we gather as his church, we're not a club, we're not a society of people with common interests, we're not an institution. This building is not Icon Church. It's just a building. We are Icon Church. We're a living organism, a body. A body that together can do God's will. A body that can supply what's needed by the other parts. A body that can protect. A body that can care. A body that can cause each of us to prosper. A body that can speak words seasoned with salt. You know I'm enjoying the salt bit. A place where the Holy Spirit is moving and working. Let's not think about going to church. Let's think about being the church. And if you think about being the church, we have to gather together. Because we're the church together. I'm not the church. You are not the church. We are the church. You know, in the the book of Hebrews, they were facing persecution and potential uh, loss of property and things. The writer of the Hebrew says this, let's consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You're coming out stronger because somebody's going to speak words of life and encouragement. You're coming out stronger because you're in the house of God and you're hearing God's word. You're coming out stronger because you're in an atmosphere that isn't just earthly, but it's an atmosphere where heaven and earth connects together in praise and worship. We are the church. At ground level, we had a a video that was recorded for us from um, Open Doors and they work with the persecuted church and they were talking particularly about the church in Iran and uh, it's great to have Andy and Kirsty with us and I think you've been to Iran or you're doing some work in Iran Iraq 
wrong spelling. Yeah, next door. Here. But in Iran right now, the church is super persecuted, but it's where the fastest growing church is. And the guy says, is there a challenge on you gathering together? And he said, we have to gather together despite the persecution because we are the church. We would never think about not meeting together. That would never cross our minds because we are the church. We're family and we're temple. God is here. He's among us. Let's gather together. Let's gather together in our groups of 10 or 20, our connect groups, whatever they are, get involved and be involved. Attend more regularly, maybe in terms of that. Hundreds of us are part of those. Let's be, play, let's be in those environments where we encourage one another, where we speak words of life, words of hope, words of encouragement into each other's life. This is a holy place. It's holy because it's God. It's holy not because I'm holy or that you're holy. It's holy because it's just God's. It belongs to Him and Jesus is the head. And in a holy place, we get to flourish. We get to serve and we get to encourage and strengthen the others. others. So let's keep being the church. And who knows? In 1100 years time, somebody might say, Do you know how long those icon people have been around? Not the same people. (laughs) But do you know? Do you know how long those icon people have been around? They've been around these places for 1,100 years. Come on, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand in our campuses? Why don't we praise our God? Just thank Him for all He's doing. Lord, we lift your name high. We lift you up in this place. We exalt you. We thank you that this is a holy place, not because of the ground we're on, not because of the building that we're in, but this is a holy place because you have brought us together and somehow you've joined us together to make us a place where you live by your Spirit. And we pray, let your glory, let your glory be seen. Let your joy, your life, your hope, let it be seen. Let it, your church be a place where there's that taste of heaven. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...